Welcome to 1001 Books, the podcast where we read the 1001 books that the people say you're supposed to read before you die and decide if they're really worth your time. I'm Nicole, a lover of Harry Potter and historical fiction. And I'm Chelsea. I'm also a lover of Harry Potter and any book that's going to make me cry. Wonderful. Um, before we get into book 19 this week, what else have you been reading lately? Um, Well, I've actually kind of gotten out of my reading slump and I have read quite a few books since we last met. It's been a couple of weeks since we recorded um, and I read... Born Survivors by Wendy Holden, and it is a nonfiction book that rebuilds the lives of three women in Nazi Germany. Germany. Um, well, actually, they're in Poland, but who were in concentration camps and shockingly carried full-term pregnancies in concentration camps and gave birth to like live children oh. who were all born within about. 14 days of like liberation and so none of the kids um they all survived wow because it was so late in the war it was so late in the war and all the camps were in shambles so like they weren't really Mm -hmm. fully um with their mass murder anymore um and so all they really weren't really mass murdering as much as they had been before Uh, well i guess they were but in these camps the camp that they ended up they weren't like put on a train that's how people died at the end the camp that they were in the um germans just abandoned it yeah uh and so yeah and so it's like three infants who are born a couple of days apart and how their um, mothers like survived and it was crazy it was really interesting i really liked it the writing wasn't amazing but it was such a cool story nice so and it's true yeah. which was also cool that's crazy yeah i read a world war ii book too um the lilac girls have you read that i've heard of it uh, it's by it's by um martha hall kelly and it's her first book and it's kind of like it's a chunker chunkster mm-hmm. it's big but it follows the lives of three women and alternates a more older middle-aged woman in new york city who's like upper class and then uh Polish woman who gets taken to the camps for being in the resistance, and then a German doctor who is the um, doctor at Ravensbrück, where the person goes, oh. and it alternates, um, and it goes all through the war and to way afterwards. Um, and the doctor and the New York woman are based on real people. Cool. Um, and so the Polish woman was part of a group that Nazis experimented on um, to see, like, to test like how people would re- re- like react to infections without um, antibiotics. And so then, and then like after the war, the New York person helps um, try to get compensation and stuff because then Germany was supposed to pay reparations to those women, but then they didn't identify communist Poland that was taken over by the Russians as a country, so they didn't get any reparations. The craziest part about the book is that the chapters from the perspective of the German woman, you could see how that what she was doing was affecting her. Like she was cutting and she was like, she had been abused, sexually abused all through her childhood and stuff, but she, but she had this like complete disconnect that mm-hmm. um, it was like, okay, what she was doing and, and that the, it was for the good of German soldiers. And um, it was really interesting. And then they, she, that real person was on trial at Nuremberg and she uh-huh. got 20 years in prison, but then she got released after five years um, as because the U S um, was trying to curry favor with West Germany for so whatever economic her. reasons, they released her. And then she went back to practicing medicine for like 10 years until they found her and eventually from out foreign pressure, they revoked her medical license in 1960. That's but crazy. It's crazy. And, and so, so she was just like, what we did wasn't wrong. It was to help Germany. Um, so that was, and that was really good. Um, and then I also read since we recorded last, um, born a crime, Trevor Noah's book, uh-huh. the guy from the daily show. And that was also really great and really interesting about apartheid and race and stuff. And the, part that really stuck with me is that he wrote about how um, Hitler isn't the worst thing that an African can think of because there's been equally as horrible genocides that are much closer to home. Uh, And and then he made the point that the reason that we, we know how many Jews and other people were killed in the Holocaust is because Hitler counted them. But in other genocides, like when the Belgians were killing people in the Congo to raise, to get wild rubber, nobody counted them, but it could have been way more than Mm -hmm. with killing the Holocaust. And, uh, and so then he, yeah, it was, I thought that really made me think about since we both read World War II books. That book was also really great, really great memoir. And it was kind of like a love letter to his mom. It was really Aww. sweet. Who was like ahead of her time and 
cool. That's on my list of books to read. Always. She, Almost every book you bring up, I'm like, that's on my 300 <laughs> long list. Um, yeah, you should definitely read it. Um, so the book we're reading this week, book 19, is called The River Between. And it was just about 150 pages, pretty short. And it was by a Kenyan author whose name, I apologize for mispronouncing, is, I believe is pronounced Naguji Wa Tiongo. Tiongo? I don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was originally published in 1965. Uh, so that this book, we read it, we had a longer gap between recordings because I was sick and then you were on vacation mm-hmm. and, uh, and then we were having computer issues. And so I read that we read this book over a longer stretch than normal, even though it was really yeah. short. Um, so it was really pretty stretched out. Yeah. Uh, thinking about this book before we get into spoilers, how, what would you say is your one word description of this book? Uh, my one word description is colonialism. Kind of goes with mine. My one word description is assimilation. All right. Hand you, in hand a little bit. You want to give so, us a one sentence or quick plot of this book? Yeah. Waiyaki grapples with the colonization of his community in Kenya and the influx of Christianity, all while feeling he must save his people, but without really knowing what this means for them. All right, so from this point forward, we're going to get more into the details of the plot of this book, and so consider this your spoiler alert. Yeah, so a little more in depth with this book. Uh, It starts with three boys as their children, and goes through all um up through i would say they never really say but i bet he's probably his mid-20s around the time the book ends oh or, yeah or mid-30s yeah. yeah um and it particularly follows by yuki who is the son of a former leader of the tribe and he is growing up in the time where white men have first started to it's not directly said it's british colonialism but it was in kenya you know that, that's so what was, yeah. <laughs> um they're just white men to the kenyans and that they're starting to colonialize the area where his tribe and all the neighboring sects of the tribe it does not really clear if they're based out of one tribe because their history is all wrapped together, but they always have kind of disagreed. Yeah, it sounds like it's like an area they call it like the ridges and that each ridge is kind of a distinct group. There's some rivalry, but they all, but they all practice the same traditions and religion and like consider themselves one people. And have a very shared history. Yes. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, the, and they're pretty inland, it seems like. And so white people might have been like in Nairobi for a while, but mm-hmm. now they're like coming in and the first people to come are missionaries who have set up like a, a school for people to send their sons. In the closest city to them, which mm-hmm. is not that far off. It's far enough or it's close enough that they send, the tribes end up seeing, sending three of their sons and Wayuki is one of the sons in right. the story. Right. Um, it also has reached that point in colonialism where the missionaries have converted one of the one of the hills worth of people mm-hmm. has basically been converted to Christianity and has stopped practicing all forms of genital um, circumcision. circumcision, which was one of the main practices of these three tribes. It was thought of how they became adults and it was a part of their like purity ritual. And so one of the hills, one of the sex sections of the tribe groups have has stopped practicing it and Wayuki is from the section that is still practicing it right and so when he is a before a young man um his dad takes him to like an area that is sacred to the tribe and says that tells him that people in our line have always been prophets to our people and that there was a prophecy that there were that um, when men who were like butterflies came, white people, that there would be a savior for the tribe from their bloodline, and he's the last of their bloodline. And then he, and then his father sends him off to the school to learn to learn all the white people's wisdom and bring it back to help the tribe, but always to stay faithful to the tribe's traditions and not be converted to their way of life and like get their learning, but but don't take their vices. Is what yes. He says. So um, he does that, and when he comes back as an adult, he, he still goes is circumcised. He goes to the purity thing, and then he, his mission is to bring education to the ridges, mm-hmm. and he opens schools, and he gets teachers who've also been educated in that one missionary center. But then over time is passing, and the white hold in Kenya is growing, and so they're, suddenly they have to pay taxes to Nairobi, which is so far away, it's like an unheard of yes. place. Um, and, they, and the tribe becomes restless because the there's like the rivalry is growing and the white power in Kenya is growing and one of the female daughters from um 
the section that was Christian now had died as a result of her circumcision. Right, because she so, chose to rebel and try to get circumcised because she was trying to, like, reconcile, I'm a member of the tribe and I'm a Christian. And it really radicalized the Christian portions of the tribe. Mm-hmm. And so um, it's rapidly kind of devolving into a situation where they all are infighting and all the different versions can't see Right, and the main character, Wayaki, is like, he, he, he really wants, he thinks that education is the way towards unity, but eventually, at the end of the book, he realizes that just education isn't enough, that uh-huh. it's the education has created a wanting and a yearning in the tribe to, to have more political power and, and to push the white people out, and so then he, and, and to unite as a group. Yes. And so, um, so, so he basically decides like, we want to take their education, but we want to use it. Right. To protect to empower people, our people, our people. Right. And that, that, that looks different than what the white people are trying to do to us. Yes. Which is just to steal our land from us. And that it's a really shameful for people that land that they've worked for generations. They now have to pay other people to have to pay taxes. Um, but at the same time, it's kind of presented that he falls in love with one of the women from the other tribe or the other section, the Christian side. Yeah. The Christian side. And, um, he ends up in the end in a very unclear ending being, um, not being able to renounce her mm-hmm. in order to complete that mission that he has finally had clarity and decided is what they need to do. He can't renounce her. And so it seems like at the ending of the book, he and her are going to be punished. Right. For crossing like a cultural divide basically. Yes. And, and that now he, they're rejecting him as being the savior, the foretold savior, because he, because um, he believes in the unity, basically. Yeah, and because uh-huh. that makes him unclean. And their whole idea is that, um, as a leader, because he has at that point become one of the leaders within the mm-hmm. tribe. As a leader of the tribe, you have sworn an oath saying that you won't bring uncleanness into the tribe, and by loving her, he has brought uncleanness into the tribe. Right, and then the book ends really pretty abruptly yeah. like, before you really know what happens to them. Um, so that's the complicated plot of a pretty short book, um, but it obviously gets into a lot of details. Have you ever read anything from Kenya before, um, or about Kenya? Is Things Fall Apart? Is that from Kenya? I don't know. It's from East Africa, I think. I don't know if it's from Kenya. I have read Things Fall Apart, but I can't remember what country that's from because it was many years ago. I was reading about this book online, and it sounds like that this book and Things Fall Apart are considered like the highest form of African literature uh, that's available that's in English. That's widely recognized yeah. in English. Um, and so the, yeah, and so I, which I had heard of Things Fall Apart, and I'm pretty sure that I have read that in school, but in college, but I have I never that's heard of That's where I read one. it, was in college, yeah. yeah. Um, and I, I haven't read anything else um, set in Kenya or by Kenyan, but the interesting thing about this book, I feel like, is often when we read books about colonialism they're written by white people fiction and non-fiction yeah. they're not written by africans and so i feel like when i read those books of white people i'm always just like sick of that and i want to read a book by someone from from the people group whose land was taken and so this I was like oh man i feel like this is a book that i've been looking for um to yeah. read something that's like a more of an own voices you could say i actually um this book does have chapters mm-hmm. which Short we all know too, is really yeah. important to me um i also just noticed something Interesting on the cover. What does the cover slightly look like to you? Um, I don't. Uh, it kind of looks like a vagina. <laughs> <laughs> I would have said like railroad tracks or. Do you like, see it um, now that I said it? Yeah, or a volcano maybe. Um, it's like a drawing of two arms and there's a river between them. Yeah, it kind of looks like a vagina. Um, <laughs> <laughs> sorry, I got really distracted while uh, Nicole was talking, looking at it like, huh. I mean, the last book we had a naked person on it, and so now, you know, now I look for, for it everywhere. Um, let's. I want to see. Did you like this book? I, for the minute I picked this book up, I was like, oh, this book's gonna be a challenging read, not because of the language or anything, but just because, um, because I'm a Christian, I go to church now, I like it's a p- big part of my life. And it's a real and hard thing to remember how the church and Christianity were used. There were like and colonialism all over the world and, and did like a lot of destruction of cultures and appropriations and just terrible, terrible, terrible things uh-huh. for many, for thousands of years. Uh, and how to reconcile that with w- 
what faith is in my life and what, how, what the church is in my life now. And so I was like, oh, this book is going to make me have really heavy and hard thoughts, which it did. And that's not a bad thing. I want to mm-hmm. read about those things. But um, but it was hard for me to read because it, it, it just made me sad. <laughs> And I'm not like super practicing um, in my faith. And so um, I didn't get stuck on that. Um, but I can see how that I didn't even think about that before you said that how this these this book had very different lenses for us. Right. And it's like, how do I reconcile that I'm a member of a faith that believes in evangelism and I'm against what happened with the church in colonialism where the church where it was said basically that to be a christian meant to completely convert to white culture Uh not just the eternal tenets of the faith but like and but i'm against that but i see i can see easily how that happened because in the bible christians are encouraged to evangelize yeah and so um so yeah so it was just it was tough but i also really appreciated it to read a book like that from an author that was a non non non-white non-western well and something I thought was interesting in this book was there wasn't really this book was a book where everyone very easily ended it could have been very angry but Mm. not I felt like none of the like even when they were angry it didn't feel like anger it more felt like trying to reconcile like yeah the two realities of their country now and so like it made you like sad because of colonialism but it also it wasn't an angry text. Like it made me like, yeah, I don't know. I don't know how I'm trying to put that into words. Like it was, um, it was accessible. Like it yeah. felt like real, like the way people you weren't just put things. off by the anger of it. You could actually get into yeah. it. Yeah. It reminded me, I read a historical fiction book once about, um, when white people first settled what is now Martha's Vineyard, that island, and uh-huh. how obviously Native Americans lived on that island. And so it was about a teenage, I don't remember the name of the book, but it was about a teenage white girl, and she befriended a teenage Native American guy, who, and they all lived on, the, lived on the island together. And then as a, kind of as a result of him having that connection to her, uh-huh. um, he went to Harvard. And apparently when Harvard was first founded, um, they did try to educate um, some Native American men, uh-huh. obviously men, um, and to put them through and teach them Greek and Latin and what, whatever else Harvard uh-huh. taught in the 1600s, you know, um, and and it was and the book was really interesting and it was, it was totally about the same thing. This like, how do I reconcile this learning with my culture? Uh-huh. And so then at the end of that book and the afterward, the author was talking about the real history behind that and that it is true that they did do that and then. Uh, after about 20 years, they just stopped, like, racism kicked in, and they're like, uh-huh. this isn't for you. And and the story of the Native Americans being savages became more, like, a predominant. Pro- predominant story. But apparently, in real life, of all most of the people that graduated from Harvard, most of the Native Americans that graduated Harvard at that time, not long after they graduated, they died in one way or another. Tragic accident, drowning, you know, tried to go overseas and drown on the ship. Like, a a ton of different ways, but it was a very, very high percentage of them didn't survive it. And so it was, and and they would become, like, alienated from their tribe, Uh and then physically they did not survive it. Interesting. Uh, And not all of them, but a high, like, 80%, like a high percentage. And, which is so crazy because we don't think of the things that make up our culture as being like the life or the death of us. Uh-huh. But that makes it feel like they really are. They were for... You know? Uh, and this book reminded me of that. Because that trying to reconcile, we want to learn what the white people have brought mm-hmm. um, with we don't want to get the traditions of the tribe. It did cause all of that division. And that's how colonial powers were able to dominate. is because yeah. they got the people were in any country that was colonized to infight. And then it was easier for... Europeans to take over and control them and it was done intentionally yeah you know well it's also it's really interesting um my work we recently we've done a lot on restorative justice and um equity practices recently um and we did this really interesting activity a week ago where we had five note cards and on your note cards you're supposed to put your race your religion um your gender your something else that I can't think of and then your name and then one like bonus fact about yourself and in this activity something that a table group talked about that they noticed and then what you did is that you had to 
choose your least important card and put it in the middle. mm, I've done that. Choose your least important card, choose your least important card. And at the end, someone took a card from you and you Mm. were just left with one. And at Mm. the end, um, one of the things that came up was how uh, people, a lot of people at one table who were white gave up their race card first because we don't automatically think about like what you're saying, like how the culture is so important. Like that's not something that we like think about frequently. Whereas, um, the people at the table who there was, um, just who had, were of color Mm -hmm. kept them because they were really important to them. They're really big identifiers from them, um, for them. And it was an interesting think of like, Oh, we don't think about that. And also it was interesting too, because then people who aren't super religious gave yeah, up their yeah. religion really fast, but then other people were holding on to it. So what are the things we hold on to and yeah. how do those become important? And I thought it was interesting reading this book after that, because something that on a whole, like very far away stance here, we're moving, we're moving to the genital circumcision. Like we call that genital mutilation. Mm-hmm. Like we have yeah. a name for that when it's for females. Like, yeah. But for this tribe, it wasn't that and reading that and like trying not to be like super like shocked and horrified by it was totally an interesting lens to have to go at it for. Like it wasn't a thing for them that was horrifying. Like it was a rite of passage. Yeah, I yeah, it was hard to read about that. And I feel like from what what I know about that is that in some places in the world, because it happened in different continents, like female circumcision is like a prick of a needle and then in other cotton places it's like taking out the ability for women to have any pleasure from sex and but like as a feminist you know like I feel like it's not good because it's disempowering to women but it wasn't disempowering to these women of course this is set in the past but like I it's, it was I, really I, it's, interesting. I cannot lay down the fact that I don't think that's a good thing. But part of feminism is, is being a feminist means letting other women make choices that are different than your choices if it's really a choice. And yeah. Not something that's forced on them by the circumstances. And it was just, know? it was so interesting. So, yeah, because I mean, obviously, if I read articles about that set today, I'm like very upset for those women. Yeah. But in this story, I think that was an interesting part of the challenge of this story for me um, was looking at that and saying, okay, but this is this tribe's, yeah, this is their history. So the other sect who became Christian just wanted them to get rid of that immediately yeah. without any like, yeah, that you per- know what I mean? Like, I just thought it was so interesting because I, I, I'm vehemently against that in our world today, I think. But reading it this way, I was like, but it wasn't something for them before someone made it into something. Right. It's kind of like in The Witness, we were like, oh, it's horrifying that like children are having sex in this book and there and stuff. And and it's like, oh, well, we have to think about it culturally, cross culturally. Uh-huh. Um, but it, we didn't there wasn't there's not a equivalent to that in the same way in our present world as there is for this. And it was way harder for me to be like, it's just their culture than in the witness. It felt yeah. like really distant, but this doesn't feel as distant. You, what you bring up reminds me of my favorite paragraph in the book, um, where the main character, Wayaki is like, he's kind of thinking about what he's going to do before he goes and talks to people the last, for the last time. Um, and so he says for Wayaki knew that not all the ways of the white men were bad. Even his religion was not essentially bad. Some good, some truth shone through it, but the religion, the faith needed washing, cleaning away of all the dirt, leaving only the eternal. And that eternal, that was a truth that had to be reconciled to the traditions of the people. A people's traditions could not be swept away overnight. Um, that way laid to sin that way lay disintegration. Such a tribe would have no roots for people's roots or their traditions going back to the past. A religion that took no account of people's way of life, a religion that did not recognize spots of beauty and truths in their way of life was useless. It would not satisfy, it would not be a living experience, a source of life and vitality. And then it's to skip ahead a little bit. It says, mm-hmm. pulls himself Oh, now I don't see where it says that. Oh, but it basically says if you're going to take away a tradition like circumcision and give nothing to replace it, mm-hmm. it's going to be lifeless for people and cause disintegration of the tribe. But if you can reconcile it, the eternal truths of religion to the culture, it's it, it, it works. That's interesting because he yeah. that's at the very end of the book. But about 30, 45 pages earlier, he had thought education was life. Let it come. And with a fleeting feeling of guilt, he remembered that he had forgotten to preach reconciliation. 
Yeah, because the first time he has a chance to speak to the tribe about the, the hills coming together, he doesn't do it. He gets yeah. caught up in his personal mission, education, and he's not thinking about Which, the larger needs. It's so interesting because I think that happens a lot today. Like, you get so caught up and like, I feel my what I think is really right and I really want to teach you about this because I want you to like yeah, do what I think is right and you forget to listen and then respond to that and then have an actual conversation or like have an actual growth of ideas yes yeah because you're just you're in your thing and you're not you don't even think about the fact that you need to have a conversation where you both sides really listen to each other it's interesting this makes me think of I haven't told you about this at all yet I told Jeremy um when I got back so I recently um, went to Las Vegas with my mom for just a mini vacation and on the plane ride back I was sitting next to, in between, I got stuck in the middle seat. We were the last people on the plane between two random strangers. Um, a older woman and a, and a gentleman who were very, 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 I need to emphasize this, conservative. How did you know that from the plane? From the oh, plane no, ride? no, no. It gets better. <laughs> um, and having a very, very loud conversation over me about um among other things how diversity isn't a thing what (laughs) um that we should talk about because by talking about it we make it more of an issue um how if someone they know is um gay they don't want to know because or lesbian they don't want to know because that changes their view of them and then they don't want them around their children that was the man i should not attribute this to the woman the woman was very conservative but her daughter had come out as being lesbian oh. and was trying to reconcile that with her really deep faith. So I, I would like to say all the offensive things were said by the man um, <laughs> because I don't want the, I, she would never listen to this, but I like the woman was very like trying to figure out how she's trying to, to do what they're doing in this book, trying yeah. to reconcile. And so it was yeah. really interesting because I was stuck between these two people who I very vehemently disagree with, yeah. but I was in a plane for two and a half hours there's nowhere I can go. There's nowhere that being an angry person crusading for things I believe in in that situation is going to make it better. Even though every part of you wants to be like, you're a wrong, hateful person and I hate everything you're saying right now. You can't, yeah, you can't do that like in that situation. And so each time they'd bring up a point that I disagree with, I like, I would be like, well, I don't, I don't think that's right. Here's what I think. And then I would listen to what they're saying. And while I didn't believe anything they were saying, I, and I was very uncomfortable the whole plane ride. Um, Hey, it, it probably made you forget to be afraid of flying. It did make me flying, forget to be afraid so of something. flying. It was really interesting <laughs> because I actually, I thought about it while reading this book about how even if you really disagree with something, there has to be some skill set in you able to listen to what is saying in order to teach a different thing like which is a horrifying awful thing to have to do and I was just so uncomfortable in that whole plane ride and I was like but if I just start saying like no you're I mean I did say no you're wrong but if I start saying it really like no I like Mm -hmm. you are very wrong and here are 75 reasons why and I can't even listen to what you're saying and huffing and puffing and causing a scene I was just going to further their narrative of what that type of person was rather than creating a real like discourse about it. And it was interesting because at one point the woman on the plane, we we're going down a tangent, but I really want to share this story. Yeah. The woman on the plane um, had said something about how she felt really uncomfortable with the fact that her daughter was a lesbian. And I like point blank, like, cause we'd been talking well, they'd been talking and I'd be jumping in occasionally. Um, for an hour at this point, I point blank said, well, but she is. So what are you going to do when she brings home a girlfriend? And the woman like looked at me and I was like, are you not going to let her in your house? And she looked like slightly offended and she goes, no, no, that's not the problem. I definitely would. I would love her. She's my daughter. And it looked like watching her like that was like she had never had to say that out loud before. Yeah. And in my head, I was like, that makes this whole conversation worth it. Like yeah. sitting here so uncomfortable, yeah. listening made it to get to a point where I could say something and she wouldn't immediately be like, yeah. you know what and I way mean? Way to go that woman's daughter for being brave enough to come out to her. Yes. I'm sure that was really hard to do. A nameless woman's daughter. You, go you you are amazing. <laughs> but yeah, so it was like, it was very interesting. And I thought about it while reading this book because I just thought about how 
I have very strong opinions about things and I think things are very wrong. And how do you have that and hold true to your tenets that you believe in? Because all the characters in this book wanted to hold true to the tenets they believe in. And they all wanted the good of the tribe. They just had different ways of getting to that. Yeah. While being able to reconcile with people who you really vehemently think are wrong. Yeah, because the thing is, is uh, you can't just be like, well, I think that, you know, gay people are born, not made. That's the fundamental truth that yeah. you believe and I believe. But the that if like do saying that doesn't help because the the assumptions are are completely different. And you you really have to learn what the other person's assumptions are. Mm-hmm. And, and they're going to be things that sound crazy to you. Just the way the things that you think are assumptions sound crazy to that and person. And I had never sat on a plate. Like, I'd never been in a situation where I was forced to reconcile and to really have, like, a conversation yeah. about it. But, I mean, a plate is a, like, I, what was I going to do? <laughs> yeah. You know mm. what I mean? And so then I did that. And I was like, I feel like I got a lot from this, even though I was so upset. And it's interestingly enough, after I left, um, the woman, I left the airport first and the woman stopped my mom and said, you raised a really lovely daughter. She didn't agree with the thing we were saying, but she listened the whole time. See, that's nice. <laughs> but so it was just, I just was thinking about that, this, the, that during this conversation, like, or during this book. And I thought that that was really interesting how yeah, it applies in really extreme situations and it applies in everyday life situations. Like yes. how do we as humans make that something we're capable of doing? Yes, and, like, in real life, when, like, white people were invading Kenya and the different tribes are trying to decide how they were going to respond to that, people disagreed, just like it shows in this book. Like, that definitely really happened. Mm-hmm. And then and then the their ability to reconcile or not had probably had a great deal to do with the prosperity of their tribe mm-hmm. in the colonial system, right? Because yeah. I don't – nowhere in the world were local people able to just, like, kick the white people off their land. That never happened. And it – I mean, white people, I think, mostly had, like, more advanced guns and technology yeah. and stuff and, 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 like, diseases that, you know, killed people automatically. You know, you couldn't do anything about that. But it's uh, it's an interesting – not that saying it's their fault that they didn't mm-hmm. reconcile. Of yeah. course, it's not. as a huge thing. It is an impossible situation. But if everyone, every tribe in Kenya had suddenly been able to agree – that we don't want the white people here. I think history would have been a lot different. But mm-hmm. we're but even we're, we're but we're very divided. Even among when an outsider would label all Kenyans as the same, we know that's not the fact. Yeah. They're in different groups, different language groups, and everything. You know. Well, and it's interesting. I was thinking about this too, like um, how many countries at some point have gone through this. Like uh, China and Japan have built identities and have. Um, we don't consider them like I'm doing quotes here because I don't think like third world countries is a terrible term. Like third world countries is in quotation marks. Um, And it's because of the way they assimilated and reconciled their identities with the ability to mesh with Western culture. And so it's really interesting because should they have had to? Should any country have had to do no, that? But they so. did, and all the countries that are successful did it. So it's like, I don't know how. It's right. it's a really weird thing right. to think about. And race plays a big piece in it, like we were saying in the last book, that we don't think of the Czech Republic as a new country, mm-hmm. but, but they're white, but we still think of countries of Africa that are actually older than the Czech Republic as, as new, new and struggling, right? And, it, and it, that's totally about race. I'm reading another book right now, uh, a Christian book at church. It's I can't, I can't think of the name of it, but it's about whiteness. Uh-huh. And um, and this, I'm just up till, still in the early bits, but the Czech section I most recently read was about how, like, um, white culture is in America is pervasive and so we don't notice when it's there but all the times we just assume that like someone is white or like the way that we do things that um Mm -hmm. as a white person you don't have to think about it you know because it's automatic um but as a person of color you do have to think about it it's been really interesting um and what was I was gonna make another point about this which I can't think of right now, but the, but so, so in general, and oh, also in that book, they talk about the author, the reason he went on a journey about thinking about his own whiteness mm-hmm. was because he was at a friend's wedding and he was a pastor and he got to marry them and it was an in- Indian wedding. And he at the end of the wedding, they had, you know, like they had, 
uh, Indian components to the wedding uh-huh. mixed mixed together with American ones and our Western white American ones. And the uh, and he was like, oh, I just and so he was told his friend, oh, I just I'm so glad we got to celebrate your culture here. It was so fun. I wish I had a culture. Um, and then his friend was like, you have a culture. And when your culture comes in contact with other cultures, it almost it always Eats wins. It, it wins. Yeah. And, and he was like it like threw him for a loop and he. And then he just couldn't stop thinking about it. Mm-hmm. And it ended this like whole life journey that and he wrote this book. Um, but it is true. And I just think that most white people don't ever think about this stuff ever. No. <laughs> and, and, I, I, and I didn't think about it until the last few years, you yeah. know, like um, when it's become more to the forefront on the news and stuff, you know. And I haven't like. I've noticed while we've been reading this books that I think about it and I talk about it a lot more because we're forcing ourselves mm-hmm. to. But if yeah. you're not in a situation where you're forcing yourself to, you're not going to. Yeah. This is one of the reasons I'm, this book is one of the reasons I'm really glad that this book list, 1001 Books to Read Before You Die, they've edited it in the versions. There's been like mm-hmm. four versions and they've thrown out some European origin books and added in more from all, all over the place. And I don't know if this, maybe this was on the list all along, but... These yeah. books, I feel like it's fun to read Western classics that we haven't read yet, like The Age of Innocence. But these books are what are like challenging us and making us into better readers and human beings. <laughs> and I, I really just like hope that as more versions of that, because I'm sure it'll be published again, yeah. or more versions of these lists are going to come out and definitely that more and more. Um, one thing that I think is good about globalization is that books like this, this one was published in English first, but Books from other places that were published in other languages can be translated in order to really give an actual viewpoint to people of white cultures, predominantly European or American cultures. This reminds me when we when we read. And I should include Canadian there. I just always think the Canadians are just better than us. But they have their own issues. We (laughs) just don't know about them as much. Um the, so this reminds me, remember when we read Life as a Caravan Sarai out of mm-hmm. Turkey, we were like, oh, there's a lot of cultural barriers to us understanding this book because it's really dense and there's no explanation of the cultural stuff because it's not written for a Western audience. Uh-huh. It's written for a Turkish audience, which is good. That's fine. But for us, we couldn't get as much out of it. And then we said, oh, I wish someone could recommend a Turkish book that is more accessible to someone who's not Turkish. And so recently I was looking at books online uh-huh. and a, um, I saw a book, a Turkish book, and it's called like Madonna in the Coat or uh-huh. something. And it's by a Turkish author. And in the description, it said like a great introduction to Turkish literature. And oh, so I have it out of the library right read. now. I haven't, know. I haven't started it yet, but it's, it's about a Turkish man going to Germany between the wars and falling in love with a German woman. Oh, who's cool. an artist. And so I'm really excited to read it because I think that might be what we were looking for. This, uh, you said And apparently that. it was only like really, because it was banned in like the, behind the Iron Curtain. It was uh-huh. banned and it's only been translated into English in like 2010 and it was originally published in like 1960. Yeah. Yeah. So mm-hmm. it's interesting because you said that about like a Turkish book that could be accessed by people who aren't Turkish. This was a. Kenyan book that I could access yes, and get yeah. something from and made me really think about ways that I like otherwise um well I mean you can, it only can speak to the tribe because that's something we also do really badly is we're like Kenya all one people who like the same oh, yeah, thing or even Africa yeah <laughs> yeah um but like speak to like it was an ac- accessible book to learn about what maybe tribal life in Kenya could looked like when before, we were before real colonialism and what we really did to them. Yes. And how it affected them, both external circumstances and internal, like the spirit of the people. And it was really accessible. Like I felt that I could relate to the characters somewhat. And, and like, even though I have none of that life experience. Yeah. And I think it, you could spread this to like other countries that were colonized that that like something similar happened Mm -hmm. in every country that's been colonized it also made me think about um reparations yeah and um do colonial powers have an obligation to to pay back for what they did to all these countries because i've recently been listening to some podcasts about reparations and the um 
which is a really hard subject to listen about. Yeah. It's really tough for me because it, it's very challenging. But the uh, <laughs> but and then I was thinking about how when I lived in Cambodia, which was colonized by the French for about 100 years, um, the French are like the biggest givers of foreign aid to Cambodia and they give most of their foreign aid to countries that they colonize. And so is that their, like is that the, the reparations? reparations? Um, but then it, it's still creating an unhealthy situation because in Cambodia, a huge percentage of the GDP of like the government spending is all from foreign aid. And so then that's still creating a problem, right? That's holding so back development. So if that ever ends or Right, if that, they're screwed. And so yeah. in a lot of ways, they're still... Under, under those countries' power. It's almost like mind. a secondary level of yes. colonization. Yeah. <laughs> and so I don't think that you can really count that as reparations. But I don't Interesting. know what reparations would look like when you've like strip mined a country of all their resources and then they and then you leave. Well, and I <laughs> I feel like I haven't I'm not educated yeah. on this, so I might sound uneducated. I haven't read a lot about, about reparations, but I feel like anytime I have thought about it or heard about it, it's always along with how do you do that? Like, how do you really yeah. give back when you've taken? Yeah. So, like, it's not something that's repairable. Yeah. And so that's so this person, a friend of mine recommended like a three part podcast, three episodes about reparations. And I've only listened to one because it like I really have to think about it. And but the it's a Christian podcast. And then the first episode, anyway, they talked about biblically the theological basis for reparations uh-huh. and I was like yeah I believe in the bible I see where they're coming from I believe in that but it was so hard because the, the whole part of my mind that was just like how would the U.S. government even do that about slavery and I it was really I but I had to like turn that off and be like regardless of it how possible or what would have to happen do I think it's the right thing to do yeah that's and that's interesting yeah. I'm gonna bring it back to West Wing Okay, great. There's an episode of The West Wing where there's a really this is this is where all my knowledge about reparation comes from. <laughs> Not all of it, but a large majority. Where there's an author who like wrote a foreword and he's up for there's political things in it in the episode, but basically they're having an argument with some like White House staffers about like we can't support you because you said in this thing that you support this book about reparations and his end point is I know you can't pay them, but I need you to admit that I deserve them. Yeah, like they kind that of said is that the point podcast, of the book. Yeah. Like, you know, like just pretending that they don't exist because they're not something that's feasible does not help anyone. Yeah, what they she said on what one of the women so the podcast is called Truth's Table, and it's like by black women for black women. I think is kind of their thing. And there's the three episodes of reparations. They talk about other stuff. I haven't uh-huh. listened to those ones. But one of the women was basically like. Um, I can't talk about racial issues without talking about reparations. I refuse to do that because white guilt isn't a strong, isn't the right response to understanding racism. And I was like, Bob, what is the right response? I don't know. I don't think that there, I, I yeah. don't know if there is one. I know. And I was like, I'll keep trying to learn about it. I mean, we're two white women. And so like that shades everything we talk about on this podcast, but I appreciate books like well, this that make us think about it. And I kind of hope that like, I've been thinking about it too as we've say things. So sometimes I say something and I'm like, am I, is my white privilege showing? Am Mm -hmm. I saying something that's unknowingly hurtful or unknowingly really naive? And I like, I hope one day we have enough listeners that someone can call me on something like that. Like I I would love to learn from that because I think in that moment, and that's something I'm reading from learning from these books and talking about them is in that moment of discomfort is how you actually learn something. Like you don't learn something from sitting and being comfortable or not taking a risk and not talking about something because it's uncomfortable. Right. Or just only talking to people or reading things that agree with you already. Yeah. It it doesn't help anyone. Yeah. Because if I like tried to imagine if someone who was really conservative read this, I don't like, I don't think you could read this and avoid thinking about the stuff that we're talking about. No. it'd be impossible. You you would be completely missing the point of the book, you know? <laughs> yes. <laughs> and so, yeah, so. It's really interesting. Yeah. I really like so that. it's really great. So yeah. that's a great side effect for the podcast for us and hopefully for you listeners if you in turn read some of these books. And I really <laughs> thought we'd have nothing to talk about for this book and we're 44 minutes in. <laughs> that's what happens, man. So why don't we um, t- decide if it's on the list? I bet I know what we're going to say. I know what we're going to say. Is this the book we should read before we die? Yes. Yes. <laughs> um, this, is a, as a, this is the first... African book we read. Uh-huh. So this is a great African book. I'm sure there's more on the list than this, but I, this one was really I good. I know that a couple of, oh gosh, Shinwabi Achebe or whatever. I didn't want to butcher their name. Yeah. Yeah. I know. I wrote Things Fall Apart. And there, but one of, not Things Fall Apart, another one's on the list too. Yes. So I think there's yeah. two on the list. Yeah. Yeah. So. 
Uh, and I'm sure there's other ones by authors that we don't know. Yeah. <laughs> because we don't we didn't know this person. We've yet to discover. Yes, we've yet to discover. Okay, well, let's move on to our fun book segment um, about other things. And so I think we came up with this idea on air on the last yes, podcast. Yes, we did. And we actually wrote it down wrote so we down, can follow up. Which is up. great because we haven't recorded in four weeks. So we definitely yeah. have forgotten it. Um, which is the idea of what books, what books will we bring with us on a desert island? And so we face the conundrum. Um, do you read? Do you bring things that you've read a thousand times? What kind uh-huh. of variety do you bring? Do you, you know? Obviously, we're leaving out. You can't bring like How to Survive on a Desert Island for Dummies. You can't bring yeah. that book, and you can't bring a series, right? That doesn't count as a book, right? Yeah, because I mean, I would have just... cheated. I would have like found the longest series and been like, "That's been the like, one Harry Potter, I bring." Outlander, <laughs> like, yes, Game of Thrones, because <laughs> like, it encompasses thousands 30 of pages. Books. Yeah, thousands of pages. Um, yes. So, what we we chose our top three. Mm-hmm. Um, why don't we say back and forth, and then why? Okay. Okay. So, in no particular order, mm-hmm. um, I my one book I would bring is the Bible. Because I feel like if I was trapped alone on a desert island, I would want some spiritual comfort. <laughs> One book I would bring is A Tree Goes in Brooklyn. And that's just because it's my my favorite book, depending on the day. Um, and it just, it, I find it really hopeful, even though it's and sometimes a really sad story. Yes, that's good. Um my second book that I would bring would be Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows because um, I feel like the last 150 pages of that book are like the best literature ever written. <laughs> like where you just like get so into it, even when you've read it a thousand times like I have, like I still can't put it down. Yes. And so I feel like I could remember like that if I can only bring one book from that series, I would want it to be the finale, even though some stretches of that book aren't the best. Yeah. But the last 150 pages are just really, really good. I didn't put Harry Potter on the list because I think I'd be sad that I couldn't read the whole thing, but I did an air clap when you said that those 150 <laughs> pages are amazing because they are. Um, Another book that I chose was The Book Thief, which again is very predictable. Um, And again, it's just a sad book that feels hopeful. I think my theme was if I'm feeling hopeless, I want other books that are like in terrible situations and then I can still feel hope. Yeah, that's good. That's good. Um, My third book, I struggled to come up with it along similar lines. I really wanted a book that would be long Mm -hmm. and be like kind of remind me of like, oh, something about humanity really is good. Like, oh, even though things are terrible. And so... I'm not like set on this choice, but it's the one I could think of in the moment is To Kill a Mockingbird, oh. which I feel like I've only read like twice, but and, and not since high school. But the um, but it gives me that feeling. And I feel like there's a, a lot of other books that I might that are longer than that one that I might pick, but I couldn't think of them in the moment. Um, my third one is similar. Like I'm not sold on which book it is, but I was more just thinking like a book that feels like comfort food kind of like mm-hmm. is a little bit challenging would take you a little while to read but feels comfort foody. I said Pride and Prejudice but really like Jane Eyre would work Emma would work anything yeah. from that like era recently I took a BuzzFeed quiz that said that I can't remember what it was but my result was Emma was my book maybe for my personality type or something <laughs> that's funny and I was like yep that's a good that that's realistic I, I do really like Emma What's your favorite Jane Austen novel? Pride and Prejudice. I've only read, to be fair, I've only read Pride and Prejudice, Emma, and Northanger Abbey. Oh, Northanger Abbey is the one I haven't read. Uh, I've read all the other ones. Yeah. Um, I don't remember much about Northanger Abbey. I read it in high school. I know. And I don't, everyone loves Persuasion because it's the most different. I haven't read that one. I don't remember anything about that um, book. I read it when I was in Cambodia and I read it like a hundred books in 10 months and I yeah. don't remember it. Um, my favorite one is I pride and prejudice is like, I feel like just like very solid, but my favorite is sense and sensibility because mostly because the movie one. adaptation of that book is my favorite. Oh, pride and prejudice, not movie pride and prejudice, the mini series. I haven't seen that all the way through. <gasps> I've Mr. only seen Bungley. like the first half. <laughs> um, and pride and prejudice, the, uh, the web li- series, the web series, yeah. Lizzie Bennett diaries. Anybody really wants to kill like seven hours of their life. Watch it. <laughs> it is amazing. It was made by John and Hank green. I'm all about uh, it. Have you seen... I didn't know they were the ones who made it. Uh-huh. Have you seen the Sense and Sensibility movie? No. Oh, my gosh. Well, th- that's definitely on the list. And when we read it, whenever that may be, we will watch Is that Pride movie. and Prejudice on the list? Yeah. I think 
Persuasion, Sense and Civility, Pride and Prejudice, Emma. Can we watch the miniseries? Yes, please. Yes. And Northanger Abbey. And can we watch the Lizzie Bennet <laughs> And I think Emma has a BBC's miniseries that I also have never watched. I've only seen the one I've with Gwyneth. I've seen part of the Emma one. Yeah. But I haven't, I've seen the Gwyneth one, but I haven't, yeah. I've seen part of the miniseries, I hmm. think. Yeah. But yeah, I think she has like five books on there, all the big ones. Oh, so. good. I recently bought that copy of Pride and Prejudice that was pretty and looked like leather bound, just on the fact that, well, eventually I'll have to buy it for the <laughs> podcast, which is terrible. We're just a full on cliche with our book buying habits. I now. really didn't used to be. Before this podcast, I probably bought one book a year and I only use the library to save money. But this, we started the podcast and I got a new job where I made a little bit more money and that was it. It was open. And it, it was, was literally, done. it was literally, I'm only making like a thousand dollars more a year. It's so, it's a little different. And I still it's do all it. gonna go it's to books just for books <laughs> uh, all right should we draw our book for next time yes okay so our the book is called titus grown and confessions we actually drew a book called the gormagast and then when we looked it up we realized that that was a, the second book in a series and the first book titus grown was also on the list and so over the next two episodes we'll be reading titus grown and then the gormagast that are both part of a sci-fi uh, fantasy tri- fantasy yes. you're right fantasy and trilogy so, yeah we do so know- we had to look up a little bit about them because when i noticed that the gormagast was a second the second book in a series uh i had to look at more information <laughs> yeah because we were confused and we didn't know if we had to read the first one and all that stuff so it is a fantasy series it supposedly has uh, notes of tolkien in it so we shall see yes and so next week we'll be reading book 20 and also reviewing um, the choices of what we put on the list so far to make sure we still agree now that the and dust I has have settled. Some opinions. Right. I think we should probably do it for like the first 10 because like this week it's still too recent. Yeah. But like every 10 we should look back at 20 before Yes. That I, uh, yes, I have some opinions. <laughs> I have some ideas. I'll need to know. Yes. So maybe we'll make some revisions of our list. Perfect. Well. Also, I wanted to throw out there that one of the reasons that we hadn't recorded is because Chelsea got engaged last weekend, which is a part of the reason why we haven't been posting. If you Mm. follow us on Instagram, you can see my really pretty ring. Yes. So (laughs) so that's very exciting. We will definitely be taking pictures of book theme wedding decorations sometime next year. (laughs) Yes. Um, But we are. You will already know this. So I don't need to tell you. We're back at regular posting, but right. by the time you listen to it, we will have been. Yep. <laughs> yep. So ignore this. All right. Well, until next week in episode 20. <gasps> Wait, first, remember to oh. follow us. Oh, <laughs> remember to follow us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and Litzy at 1001 Books Pod or email us at 1001 Books Podcast at gmail.com. Woohoo. Until, until next time, time, happy reading. reading.